0: forward to that day. Amen. Take that Heavenly Highways hymnal. If you need it, turn to hymn number 27. Let's stand together and sing a verse of Mansion Over the Hilltop.
1: Place your finger on hymn 206. We'll go to there after this.
0: Hymn number 27.
1: I'm sad. Won't it be wonderful
0: there? Amen. Great singing. Thank
1: you. You may be seated. Thank you, choir. What a wonderful job as well. All right. The Haley Creek Boys. Have
2: I got that right? This is the Haley Creek Boys. All right, guys. We're
1: going to turn this over to you, and then after this, uh, Brother Reese is going to come introduce our speaker for the evening.
2: Well, we've been doing song, old songs all week, so I thought
3: might as well do one more.
0: <coughs> this-
1: God.
3: Villains. I know that they're, I they said they were only past, had not even a passing grade, and only 40% of them showed up, and uh, so, but I, I appreciate them doing that, and even with just four, several of them out of pocket, and, and uh, thank you for sharing your talents, of course, all the, the choir, you did awesome, you just did awesome, thank you for all your hard work, I know Brother Mark appreciates it. Our speaker tonight, Brother Richard Hamlin. Uh, now, now I heard that he loves to fish. Now I know he loves to fish, and uh, so I've seen it firsthand. And last night he brought a uh, awesome message on the preeminence of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And he he does love to fish, but he loves his Lord and Savior. And he loves God's Word, and uh, I can tell that by his, uh, just, he talks about it, He we talk about it on the way over to the lake this morning, and uh, just, we talk about the things of God's Word. I get worried about preachers that don't ever want to talk about the Word of God, and uh, kind of, mm, I you know, I understand there's other things to talk about, but uh of all things, you know I've pushed this at Promised Land, and that is to ha- fall in love, like an old friend, fall in love with the Word of God. Go to it, read it, spend time in it, just a little bit. Just I mean, It doesn't take much, a little bit more than you have done. So the pastor of Sharon, Missionary Baptist Church, Benton, Arkansas, he'll share a portion of God's Word with you. Looking forward to hearing from the next special, and uh do I, you introduce it you'll know, meet too okay, Jordan Lovett always love to hear her sing and uh current uh Miss Arkansas, and I don't know the exact title, but it's something like that there I know it's a different title, but that's all I could think of and uh but, uh, but yeah, she's headed that away all right. <laughs>
0: door, I think it's present.
2: bless you. Let's open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 tonight. As we considered last night the preeminence of Christ, I challenged you all with four uh, simple things, not complicated, but things that we can do in our life to show the preeminence of Christ. And uh, I want to remind you of them tonight and for those of you who might not have been here last night. In order to show that Christ is indeed preeminent in my life, I want to give him the first moments of every day. How'd you do with that this morning? Did you think about him? It's not complicated. We talk to him a little while, open up his word, let him talk to us. We give him the first moments of our day. We give him the first day of our week. The fact that y'all have been here on Thursday night and Friday night, no, that don't mean that you're not still expected to be here Sunday morning, you know, and Sunday night. We've got a place for you. Great services planned uh, for these days. Given the first day of our week, the first fruits of our offering and the, of our income. And then last but not least, the first choice in every decision. And I hope we'll put those things down in our mind, just different ways that we can show uh, that Jesus Christ is indeed preeminent in my life. Now, tonight we're going to talk about the ministry that God has called us all to. Now, we might think that, uh, you know, God has not called me. I understand there is a vocational or a calling to vocational ministry. We understand that people that God calls to be pastors, to be ministers, youth pastors, music workers, uh, all kinds of people that God calls into vocational ministry. We understand that. God calls missionaries, evangelists, church planters. A lot of people have a calling of God in that sense. We're not talking about the ministry like that. We're talking about a ministry that God calls all of us to. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's look in this passage for a moment. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but my manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to those who are perishing, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the eyes of them that believe not, Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. May God bless the reading of his word tonight. is my prayer. The ministry. Our passage tonight begins with a problem. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Sometimes we might find ourselves wondering why it is, since the gospel of Jesus Christ is so simple, so easy to be understood, so much gospel preaching, so many gospel tracks, so many preachers on television who are preaching the genuine and true gospel. Now, all of them aren't, but some are. So many on the radio. So much Bible available. We might wonder, why is it that so many people are on the road to hell in this world tonight? At least a part of the answer is found right here in our text. And that is that the God of this world has blinded the eyes of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, who's the image of God, should shine unto them. You say, man, don't they see? No, they don't see. Don't they understand? No, they don't understand. Don't they realize that there's a heaven to gain? Not really. Don't they realize that there's an eternity in hell that they're facing? No, not really. Why not? Because the God of this world, the devil, is actively working to blind the mind of boys and girls, men and women, to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't see it because their eyes are being blinded. Now, the devil has been working against people ever since the Garden of Eden. He's got a distinct advantage. He is not omnipotent. He's not all-knowing. He does not have the capability, as far as I know, of being present everywhere. He's an angelic being, a spiritual being, but uh, nothing like that. We don't want to give him too much credit. But I'll tell you, he is hard at work. And he does have one advantage. And that is that he has been working against people uh, from the very time that people began. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't get old. He doesn't wear out. Decay doesn't happen to him. He is a spiritual being continually going, and he is very, very good at what he does. In fact, tonight, I would venture to say that the devil works more faithfully blinding people to the gospel of Jesus Christ than God's people are working to open the eyes of people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. To our shame, there is a problem. And the problem is that the God of this world is blinding the eyes of them that believe not. And yet before we're told that, Paul gives us that great statement in verse 1, since we have this ministry. What ministry is this? Well, in order to understand that, you're going to have to read back up into chapter 3. And we're not going to take the time to read all of those passages tonight. Let's just talk about how that Paul reminded us of the time when Moses went up on the mountain and he met with God face to face. Now, that was a great thing. I don't know about you, but if I envy anybody, it was, I envy Moses. And the time when he was able to go up there and be with the Lord, when he covered him there in the cleft of the rock and hid him there with his hand, and God passed by and Moses saw his glory. And what an incredible picture of the ministry because when Moses came down from the mountain, he didn't even know his face was shining. He had no clue. Everybody was saying, Moses, what, man, I can't... Uh, put a veil or put something on. Pass out some Ray-Bans here, for goodness sakes. We can't see you. Moses had been with God. His face was shining with the glory. And yet... Something was happening. The glory was fading away. It was diminishing. After a while, Moses didn't have to keep the veil on anymore, but unfortunately he kept it on anyway because he didn't want the people of Israel to know that the glory was fading away. And Paul would even point out that to this day, when they're reading the law of Moses, they're not seeing that that glory of the law was a temporary, a fading glory. But he said, by contrast, you and I... Have a ministry that goes from glory to glory. That is, it goes out from glory and it is going into glory. How does it go out from glory? It goes out from the work that God has done in your life and mine. Let me tell you something tonight. There was a time when you were lost and you were on the road to hell. The spirit of God touched you, the word of God came clear to you, became clear to you in your heart. You understood that you were a sinner. You called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as if you were somebody, the God of the universe heard your prayer and forgave you of your sins and became your father. You were born again, not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of God. You were saved. You go out from that glory. But it didn't stop there. You're headed to glory. And it is an ever-increasing glory. It's not a glory that's fading away. In a way, the old covenant was at its best when it began. And it was declining ever from then on. But that new covenant is an ever-increasing glory from glory to glory. This is the kind of ministry that God has placed in us. God has called us to this glorious ministry. Unchanging glory. Ever increasing glory. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry. Understanding that there's a problem. Yet, there's that reality of the ministry that God has placed us all in. So let's understand just how then this problem is addressed by a plan. It's very plainly spelled out for us in this text. This ministry where there's a problem, the God of this world has blinded eyes of them that believe not, but there's a plan. Because you see, verse 6, the God who commanded the light to shine in the darkness has shined in our hearts to give, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That the excellency the power may be of God and not of us. Now you see the imagery. There are those who are blind to the truth of the gospel. And yet then there are those of us who have been given this glorious ministry from glory To glory. We go out from glory. We're headed to glory. Ever increasing glory that God has given to us in Jesus Christ. But he said he shined in our hearts, not on our face. In our hearts. Not with a fading glory like he gave to Moses. But he put something on the inside of us. But it is on the inside. And he tells us that this is in a vessel of earth. A clay pot. That's our life, our life, your life, my life, your body, mine. Our life is a vessel in which God has placed the treasure, the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the truth of who he is and the glory of who Jesus is, he has placed inside of all of us. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you grew up in a house that had a living room? Raise your hand. Did you live in the living room? Hmm? Now, some of you are old school enough that you were probably like my house was. There was one thing you never did in the living room and you never lived there. It was a separate room. It was there, on the behind a closed door. The only time we ever went in there is when we had company. I made the mistake one time of asking why we had a room called a living room if we could never go in there. <laughs> I was told to shut up and start stop smarting off. You know, I mean that was common way of dealing with those kind of questions back then. I learned after asking those questions about the living room that I might as well leave those fancy dishes that sit up there in the dining room all along. Just don't ask. Why did we have this big thing, I don't even know what it's called, to this day, with all these beautiful, fancy dishes up there? The only thing I ever saw done with those things was get them out occasionally and dust them. We didn't eat with them. We didn't drink out of the glasses. You didn't good night. You didn't cook in those. those, My. They served some kind of function. I'm just. I guess they were decorative. uh, Dishes that you never use. Now. There were others. That we used all the time. Every day. It turns out that actually, you know, if in, in, the, in the grand scheme of life, and there's something ironic about this, I'm not sure, but for some reason or another, those yellow plates that we used every single day growing up with the kind of a daisy emblem in the, in the middle of them, for some reason, those things, it turns out, are very valuable now. And those fancy dishes up there, they're probably not worth two cents. There were the things we used all the time. They were the clay pot kind of things. They were the fancy ornamental, ornate things that we never used. We looked at, they were nice. When God listened to me tonight, when God chose to put the greatest treasure of the universe, the glory in the face of Jesus Christ. When God chose to put that in a vessel. He put it in clay pots, human lives, your life, my life. St. Paul wrote to the same church and he said, you see your calling, brother, not many wise, not many noble. Not many noble after the flesh are called, not any. He didn't say not anything, God, but just not many. The simple fact of it is that most of us are just pretty ordinary people. And even the ones who are extraordinary, those who manage to excel in life. I've, I've been around a lot of the entertainers. I've got to meet them and actually uh got to uh, visit with them, interact with them during the years that I spent in Branson, Missouri. It was, it was wonderful to be able to meet some of those people. And I found out, I found out when you get past all the stage presence and you get behind all the, the, the persona that they present to the world, they're just common, ordinary people. They need friends, they hurt, they struggle just like everybody else. We're all ordinary people. We are clay pots, vessels made of earth. But vessels, listen, vessels we are. I am firmly convinced that one of the greatest inventions of modern humanity, not the computer, although thank God for computers, (laughs) uh, not the microwave oven. I remember the first microwave oven we ever bought. And, uh, we had to pay it out on time. It cost so much money back then. You know, I mean, incredible amount of money. Yeah, but I don't think that's the greatest, I, but I'm not sure what is the greatest invention, but one of them has to be the squeeze ketchup bottle. I mean, it has to be. Marvelous thing. You just squeeze it and out, no more of all that stuff. It is a vessel. What do we do with it? We squeeze it. Why? Because there's a treasure on the inside that we want to get. After my grandmother died, I had the uh, opportunity. I went down to help go through all of her stuff. And as we were going through all of her stuff, I found a box of letters there that were left over from World War II. I was interested because there was a time when I was a stamp collector and I was just amazed at being able to find all those old stamps. But then I got to notice that they were addressed from my Aunt Cleola to my Uncle Guy while he was in World War II. And they had kept those letters all those years. And I can assure you tonight, not one of those, not one of those letters was unopened. All of them had been opened. Why? Because there was a letter inside. That Uncle Guy desperately wanted to read from his sweetheart, my Aunt Cleola, back home. Nobody would get that letter and say, oh, what a pretty envelope. I think I'll just keep it. No, the envelope is just a vessel. And we're going to tear it open to get to the treasure that's on the inside. Christmas morning, I've raised five kids. We went through all the rigmarole of putting the presents under the tree. Never once did I see any one of my five children walk up to those presents and say, you know, I think I'm just going to keep that box. I like it just like it is. No, they want to tear the thing open and get to the treasure that's on the inside. God put a treasure Inside of a clay pot. Your life and mine. But if we're not very careful, we will find ourselves trying to pamper and hang on to the vessel rather than opening it up to reveal the treasure. It's just human nature. We like our life. We don't want anything that's really going to mess things up or or make it difficult for us. But there's a treasure on the inside. And there's some way then that God is going to operate so that He can take the treasure He put inside of us and open it up so He can show it to this world that is blinded by the devil. So that they won't see it. Any other way. There's the problem. They're blinded. There's the plan. God put a treasure in a clay pot. Your life and mine. So what is the process that God uses to open up the vessel to reveal the treasure? Verse 8, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. We are troubled on every side. So that it doesn't matter really which way I look in my life. I might look toward the business area of my life and there in my business, in my vocation, in my job, in the activities of my life about which I I go every day. I look around and I I see there's trouble. I'm troubled there. There are things there that trouble me. I look maybe into my home life and I I see there things sometimes that, that trouble me. I look at my community, there are things there that trouble me. I look at my church, there are things there that trouble me. We are troubled on every side. And a part of the way then that God is working in your life and mine in order to open us up, to reveal the fact that there is a treasure in us, is that God puts us in some troubling situations. So would say, do you mean to tell me that God would actually... Permit me to go through some trouble. What was it, I believe, that Jesus Himself said? In the world, He said, you shall have tribulation. Trouble. It's going to happen. But it's not meaningless. This is one of the ways that God opens us up to show the treasure, the real treasure. Because we are troubled on every side. We're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. Our troubles don't destroy us. We're perplexed. That has to do with confusion. We don't always know what to do. We don't always know where to go. We don't always know what is right. Sometimes we are confused. And yet, in the midst of our confusion, we do not sit down and fold our hands in despair and give up. I might not know exactly where I need to go. I might not know what is right or what is wrong in every situation. And yet, I am not in despair because I know the One who is right. And I know the One who knows what to do. We are persecuted, picked on, sometimes just targeted, and yet even though we are persecuted, we are never alone because Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. We might even be beat down, but we're not destroyed. We are always bearing about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus, and always in the midst of that, the life of Jesus is being manifested in you and I. We don't realize it, brothers and sisters in Christ, but we stand constantly before a watching world. Now, we are often, and rightly so, warned, cautioned about our testimony. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. Be careful, little feet, where you go. Don't want to do things, something that's going to offend somebody. And that is a good thing for us to be warned about. Yes, we do need to be concerned about our conduct, making sure that we're not offending people. But folks, we stand before a watching world. And you know what they really want to know? They're really not watching to see whether you stumble or not because they don't have to watch very long to know that, yes, you do stumble. In many things, the Bible says, we all offend. You know what they really want to know? Does the Gospel really work? Does Jesus really make a difference? What kind of a difference does He make in your life? Well, I can tell you. There's been some times when I've been troubled on every side. I was at trouble at work and I came home and there was trouble at home. And I went to school and there was trouble at school. And then I came to church on Sunday and God help me, there was trouble there too. And sometimes I didn't know how I was going to make it. And if it hadn't been for Jesus, I don't think I would have. It was time when I was broke down and beat down. When the world had pushed me around and I just didn't know if I could ever get up again. And God help me, I don't know if I would have. But Jesus, Jesus made the difference. Jesus helped me up. And when we go through these difficult times, and we are troubled on every side, and we are suffering through the times of difficulty, it is our constant tendency to grab a hold of this vessel and say, "God, why are you letting this happen to me?" And from time to time, we need to look in Second Corinthians chapter four and remind ourselves that this is that ministry of glory that all of us have been called to. God has put a treasure inside of you and me. And the troubles that we experience in this life as we bear about the dying of the Lord Jesus is a way for God to simply show the life of Jesus Christ in your life and mine. And so he ends up in verse 16 where... He began, therefore, he says, we do not lose heart. We do not faint, the old King James. I'm reading out of the new King James. Not. Therefore, we do not lose heart. That's what it means. We don't lose heart. The Bible talks about doing things with all your heart. Doing it heartily as unto the Lord. And we know when people are doing things when their heart is in it. And we know when they've lost heart. And Paul said, this is why I don't lose heart. This is why my heart is still in the ministry. This is why my heart is in revealing the treasure. My heart is not in preserving the vessel. I do not lose heart. Why? Because even though our outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. The simple reality of it is, is that God's grace is fresh and new every morning. And His faithfulness is great. He calls on us in verse 17 to put it on the scale. Our light affliction, He says, which is but for a moment. Now I have to admit to you tonight that I cannot ever remember a time in my life when I've suffered an affliction that I felt like was light. Your afflictions are probably light. <laughs> but mine aren't. You understand? But that's exactly what he says. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Notice he said, worketh in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. It is put it on the scales. And when we see how that God works in our life to open us up and reveal the treasure in Jesus Christ so that other people who are blinded by sin and blinded by Satan can see the light of the Gospel, when God takes us through that light affliction, which is but for a moment, it is working then a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And I'm convinced, folks, I'm convinced that you and I are going to be walking around on streets paved with gold before we ever realize why, that some of the things happened to us the way that they did. Or the way God used some of our experiences to reach other people. Ron Dunn is in heaven now. He battled depression for years And he was struck, almost overthrown by guilt when his own son then inherited in his mind his problem. He could never convince himself that he hadn't passed it along to his son so that he suffered from manic depressive. And his son then became a manic depressive. And his son ultimately committed suicide. And it troubled him, I'm sure, until he went to the grave. And yet, Ron Dunn said this, He said, a lot of the tears that you and I shed end up watering the flowers in somebody else's garden. A lot of gold that is mined by our suffering ends up being deposited in someone else's account. And when God takes us through these times to open us up to reveal the treasure, He is, in fact, showing someone else that far more and exceeding and eternal weight of glory through Jesus Christ. And it will indeed be worth it all when we see Jesus. Last but not least, we do not look at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. You see, there is an unseen world out there. There is an unseen future. And it is that unseen world and unseen future that is temporary or that's eternal. Our sufferings, our trials, our difficulties, these things are temporary. And when we understand and remind ourselves then of these three principles, we do not lose heart because our outward man, yes, it's perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. Our light affliction, is working a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And we are not really just seeing everything. There's a whole lot going on out there that we don't see. And the things we don't see are the things that are eternal. Therefore, we don't lose heart. I heard about an old revival meeting at It was not uncommon for people to do this. In old times, they used to have a service they'd call a quitting service. Now, this was before my time. But back when they used to have two-week revival meetings, that was not uncommon for them to have a quitting meeting, they called it. And that's when they called on people to quit stuff. And There was one particular service I heard about where everybody was going on. And you know how it is, especially in a small crowd. You know, everybody's kind of watching. You know, here goes somebody up there, and they're going to quit. And some of them, obviously, were struggling with things that were very serious because they just kind of whispered around it. You know, nobody really took the lady very seriously who was the biggest gossip in town. She said, I've been gossiping. I've got a problem with that. I'm going to quit. Now, everybody knew she didn't mean it. But they were all watching this one lady, and she just would not go forward. And you know, after a while, you know, 47 verses of just as I am. She finally said, I guess I'm going to have to go. And so she announced very loudly to everybody, Preacher, I hadn't been doing nothing, and I guess I'm going to have to quit that. Now, you can take that more than one way. <laughs> Several ways, in fact. We're not having quitting meetings anymore, but there's a lot of people quitting on God. Lots of them giving up, lots of them decided. That the gospel really is not, oh yeah, I'm going to heaven, yeah, I've got that down. But you know, as far as just helping me live my life, getting me through day by day, they've decided that coming to church isn't important very much. Living for Jesus is not important very much. And I hope tonight that we can all drive 2 Corinthians 4 down deeply into our minds and hearts like one of those tent pegs that we put down so deep that we can't pull it out and we just have to go back and reset our tent there year after year after year. God called me into a ministry. He put the treasure, the gospel, inside of this life. And He opens me up to show the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ in a sin-darkened world. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes we suffer. But it is working a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Help us, God, to be submissive to your plan. Brother Mark, come. Father God, let's stand together, please. Father, we thank you for the time we have to spend together in your word and we pray you'd bless its truth to all of our hearts tonight. We thank you that You have indeed put us all into this ministry, that clay pots though we are, cracked and flawed though we may be, yet every crack and every flaw, every failure, every time of struggle and trial is an opportunity for the light to shine through us. And Lord Jesus, we do indeed pray tonight that you'd let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Convict us in the decisions we need to make. In Jesus' name, amen.